just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? It's Monday night, so it's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Huge tap, uh, huge show on tap for you tonight. As you know, Ira, we're really progressing through the NFL season. The, the cream is rising to the top. The crust is falling to the bottom. So we're getting a look at the way the playoffs are shaping up. We're also just had the NBA draft. So even with only really one sport playing at the moment, there's plenty to talk about. We're going to do it all for you tonight and break it down. But first and foremost, Ira, you got out of town this weekend and got to do your favorite thing ever, attend live sporting events. <laughs> yes, it was great. I mean, I, it was not the sunny, bright day because it <laughs> rained. I mean, I looked at the weather forecast and it was, I thought it was going to be like 20% chance, but boy, the 20%, I should have been betting that or something for <laughs> rain. It would have won a good, good odds because it rained the entire way up to Jacksonville. But I love the Jacksonville Stadium. I loved it. And I just love going to a games there. I've been there as my fourth game. And it's just interesting when there's 16,000 fans not 64,000 fans and 99.9% of them were Steeler fans I do not think there's a Jacksonville <laughs> fan there and it is you know you drive up to the stadium you get there an hour and a half before you park about a, about like a, you know 10 feet from the stadium mm -hmm. for like $30 there's Can't no you walk right in there's no lines you, there's no lines for anything and you go and I'm sitting in like the fifth row there's nobody around people are like oh my god COVID you're afraid there's nobody around me I mean you go to a restaurant here outside <laughs> yeah inside whatever walk down the street you're gonna see more people they how they blocked it out i mean they, they literally you cannot even say oh people move up they make the seats you can't even sit in those seats and uh i mean i sat great i said i don't i don't normally want to sit close uh in pro games because everybody stands up i can't take my pictures but in this game, there was nobody in front of me there were like these two guys that were like five rows ahead of me and they were older gentlemen but they they chose to stand up and then finally person I was with said hey well you're not see through you can whatever they were like looking around like they only but we could have moved technically somewhere I guess <laughs> but it was funny but it shows you that there was if you have annoying fans they're so far away from you they're not bothering you they're like annoying fan next to you in front of you because there was nobody in our row there was nobody in the row behind us and nobody in the row in front of us so that's <laughs> actually you know that's a great way to go to the game now it did rain the entire game but uh, I love the stadium I. You walk at the Jacksonville Stadium. What I like about it is it, it has that soccer feel. And I've been to a couple of soccer stadiums because it's low in the end zones. It's only like maybe 50 rows up in the end zone. Where usually some of these stadiums have these big high end zones yeah. and nosebleeds. They don't have those. And then they have these gigantic video screens on both of the end zones, which are tremendous. So you have both of these screens. I don't like it sometimes. Like sometimes it is a problem when you have to look up for the screen. But yeah. it's just on the side. So I think it's really good to easily watch that game. And I love the fact that there's three clubs. There's three levels of clubs. So there's a first level, second level, and third level. Um, it's very nice, and they have like the couches and the and the tables you can eat and food on. I, they weren't I could get those type of seats. There was just so a few available. And then the first like ten rows they covered with tarps. So you weren't so close to the action. But as I said, there were like. I mean, they said there were 15,000, 16,000 people there. It seemed even less when a big stadium like that. Uh, but I, there were, the food options were very limited. There's not, <laughs> the food, I think, was poor. But there was just no lines for anything. There Even there was an auction. So I you always had to go to these stadiums to see these signed autograph things. And you can get, like, the uh, helmet by Franco Harris or mm -hmm. Dan Marino or something. Well, there were so few people for this auction. I saw this great Paul Poslowski was a star linebacker for Penn State. Then he played for Jacksonville. And my friends back in Altoona just love this Paul Poslowski guy. So uh, I... Uh, 
I wanted to uh, from Penn State. So I got this great signed autograph frame piece for like fifty dollars. That's crazy. Like, it was crazy. the frames. Like, the frame more than itself that. was worth more than that. And I and I put my I put the thing down, and then there was I was bidding against nobody. Like I could have bought like That's everything crazy. there. There were like signed balls from you know T.J. Watt and all this other stuff. Ben Rotzenberger. There was like a helmet. I could, everything was so much cheaper than normal, and they was like the minimum bid. Lots of times you go to these places like during the Super Bowl, the minimum bids were high. Mm-hmm. This is the minimum bids were so low, and they don't, no one bid against me. But they they put uh, um, they put T-shirts for like every seat like where I was supposed to sit. But of course there were a lot of empty seats, so I, I don't know picked up another ten T-shirts of Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguar T-shirts. But it was nice. I mean, I just like the stadium. People are very friendly. They're doing construction around the stadium, which is, makes it a little hard when you where, how you enter and you walk in. But in general, I do like a stadium where unlike the Dolphins Stadium, where you park your car and you're at the stadium, there's Bars outside, there's some rest. It's not that much built up around, but at least you feel like you're in an area community, and it's really pretty driving into that stadium. So I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I can't wait for Jacksonville to be good because it's a great place to go to a game, and really the only places you can go to games are the Dolphins, Tampa Bay, and Jacksonville. And I'm going to probably hit next week Tampa, and maybe, and I was already at Miami yeah. this year against the Seattle. So it's pretty good to be here in Florida for these games. Yeah, I mean, I've done Dolphin Stadium. I've done uh, Tampa quite a few times. They're not bad. They're not great, though. And Jacksonville just looks like it's like a destination on top of being a place that they do a football game. The, the ads alone for it makes it, man, I really want to go check the stadium out. No, and they say their chant is Duval. And, like, it's so funny because if, you, if you're not familiar, that's Duval County. But, yeah, that's like, but no one hears it. Like, <laughs> if I said Duval to anyone else, like, what? I've never heard of Duval. But they're, like, screaming Duval and the Fred Taylor, Leon Searcy. Um, the, all, I mean, Jacksonville has had some good teams in the past. I mean, recently they've been terrible. But uh, – but I, and I like the colors, the teal. It's a good yeah. color, the black and teal. And it was fun, though. And we sat and just sit right behind. I like sitting right behind the Jacksonville bench. I would have preferred the Steeler bench because you can see how the players interact with the coaches mm-hmm. and, and how they how they work the bench. And, and I thought it was all in all just great. I'm so excited I was there. Even though it rained, I just love going to the game. And it was like, I was, I was just pumped. Like, I'm there at a game. It's only been my second game in like a year, it seems like. It, it has been a long time for you. I know you've been struggling. So I was happy you got up there. Was it tough to get tickets? Um, I just went on Ticketmaster and you bought like... You go on Ticketmaster and then you did in StubHub, and I noticed that the prices, this, the teams were selling, and the prices were really high, but then like the day before, prices dropped a lot. Really? So then I was able to get, I thought the prices got lower, much lower before the game. I mean, clearly in games like this, no one's outside selling tickets, um, but in some sections, there was very few that are available. I mean, I'm looking at the Tampa Bay game next week, uh, Kansas City, and they're very expensive now, but even the last couple of days, they've gone down in price, and it, it seems like the team is selling it. The, it's hard to understand like where, how that, you know, how that's being done. There's just so few tickets available. Available for each of these games, but uh, but no, I love the ticket. I like, as I said, I normally do not sit real close to the front because of all the people standing. But I usually like sitting in the club, like first row, yeah, and you get a better view. But there was nobody in front of us, so I was. It's like easy <laughs> to take pictures. I'm going to put them on uh, Iron Sports. We're going to have it on the Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'll have all the pictures of the game on Iron Sports. Yeah, make sure you follow us at Ira on Sports to keep up uh, with all the cool pictures, things like that that Ira shares from from his journeys, which are picking up again. <laughs> um, so. You had mentioned you like sitting um, on your team side because you like seeing them interact. And you get to games super early, so you can see all the interaction. You had a no- you noticed something about Big Ben. I've noticed it for his career, but it's it's. I wondered with COVID if he was going to do that because – but he goes – when you get there for the warm-ups, he literally doesn't warm up. His job when the game is out there while everybody's stretching is he walks around and he doesn't just like wave at the players. He – says something to every single player. Everyone, not That's just cool. the stars,
Myers, not whatever, but but from the backup uh, backup defensive lineman, backup safety, anybody, he'll go and he'll give them a hug, give a handshake. They'll be down on stretching. Literally, he'll walk around. And he, I've noticed that he's done this in the past. And I just, you know, now it's just it's even more evident. And like he's clearly the leader. Like there's no. No, he's unquestioned. It's his team. This is he's the man. This is what it's all about. And I just love how he goes around and just you can just sense that. I mean, he is clearly I, I can't think of another I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has to control of the Packer team as much well, as Ben has he, with his he's team. Not like that. <laughs> and I mean Brady probably had this in New England, maybe not so much in Tampa because he hasn't been here, but these are players. I just it's neat how Ben goes around and does the you know, he never warms up without his helmet. He always has that baseball cap on, everybody else has helmets on. And I just like though how he goes to every player offense and defense and it's not just a few it's not just like waves or, or hats touches them on the shoulder pads he literally stops and says something like he has something to each a player i think that's great it, it is fantastic they have said that about brady in the past that you know you get drafted by the uh you get drafted by the patriots tom brady comes over and introduces himself hi i'm tom brady like okay i didn't know that <laughs> you know but it's it's good to see people like that i don't think aaron Rodgers is so much like that i feel like aaron Rodgers when that game's over he's hopping in his maserati or whatever and he doesn't care at all about the players but that, that's just how it appears but you know the one thing when you notice when you're at the game and i don't think it's as evident on tv but ben is he's almost looking like darth vader because he has (laughs) such like his protection over his chest i mean he is like bulletproof vests like a hundred times like it's unbelievable how much stuff he has on he has like three it seems like uh, three levels of shoulder pads he has on it's enormous and his his pads everywhere and it's just no wonder people say oh he runs slower yeah because he's way he's probably weighed down with 50 pounds of material that goes on top of him to protect him so that's why it's like i feel bad because he really is and, and but he is the toughest guy when you watch ben and see how he gets hit and how he goes on the ground and he just comes back up and you're like how is he getting up from these hits he is the toughest guy i've watched him his whole career and uh i mean he loves playing football he enjoys it and he is so tough it's 7-eleven you're listening to ira on sports this is the true oldies channel on mike balsamo so ira throughout the media it seemed like there was this weird little feeling that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to upset the 9-0 undefeated Steelers. And this was like catching momentum before the game. Our intern Harrison had texted us that there was an upset day. And it was never even close to a second where that looked like it was going to happen. Ben had a great game, and it's it's Deontay Johnson has really stepped up to be his number one target that we thought Juju was going to be. Um, well, there's, it's really interesting. When you're at the game, you also see different things. Um, and this is – we'll get to, the, get to the, the wide receivers right now is – DeAndre Johnson uh, is the second year, third year, really, but he has emerged as this target. And and it, I remember him last year in the Cleveland game. He got a bad concussion and a terrible hit that the Browns did. And I think that sort of set him back last year and even the beginning of this year. But now I think he's got his his you know his back playing great. He had eleven receptions, a hundred some yards. Um, but then Chase Claypool, the draft pick from Notre Dame, what a catch that was! But he's not, Johnson had the great catch, and Claypool had both yeah. the good catches. I mean, uh, Johnson's catch was they threw it off. It hit him, hit the receiver. Yeah. The, 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 the defensive back knocks him on the ground. So he's like tackling him. as the, He's being tackled. He's catching the ball. But Claypool's size and speed is just amazing. Like, when he's out on the field, you're like, he looks bigger than everybody. Like, way bigger. Like, it's not like he's like, it's like if, if someone made a joke on the radio. Like, if he was playing in, like, the bitty leagues, it's like, is that guy really, like, 12 years old? Yeah. Like, everyone else is, like, six and seven, and this big, tall guy's running. He's amazing, and he's so fast and off the line. And then when you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, who was this going to be a star, and Juju is, like, still 22 years old, 23 years old. He looks slow. He doesn't look fast. He's never had the best hands. 
Hopkins, and he's really, honestly, the third wide receiver on the Steelers. It really is Johnson and Claypool are one and two, and Juju is the third wide. It's before our eyes we saw this, and uh, but but you, the way Ben throws with Ebron and everyone else, I mean, he is mixing the ball around in games if they keep letting Juju wide open. But I've noticed that Juju, when you're at the game, he doesn't get. He's not. He's like missing a step. There's something. But last year he had a bad year too. So this isn't just as like he was hurt. He's had now two bad years in a row. Just seems to not have that explosiveness, he, and they're, and they're he hasn't forcing been him the ball. dynamic without Antonio Brown on the other side of him yet. It's you know? crazy, but he doesn't have that, and he doesn't have that speed. He doesn't have that breakaway. Like in the Detroit game I went to uh, three years ago, when he they, they threw it like a ninety-five yard pass, like it was just amazing, you know. And it was so he just broke, ran away from everybody, and you just thought he was going to be this superstar wide receiver, and he's just just an average wide receiver and with, with average hands. And but it's great that Johnson and Claypool have emerged as, as uh, all pro wide receivers. Really. It's funny how this was, you know, going to be the legendary wide receiver draft, and all the guys at the top haven't really done much. It's been the the Claypools, the Justin Jeffersons, Michael Pittman, the guys that were drafted 6th, 7th, 8th that are really having great seasons. And obviously there's still plenty of time left for the Judys, the Rugs of the world. But it's nice to see some of these other guys doing so great. Yeah, right Rugs for – I mean, I drafted Rugs in my fantasy. He plays he for the Las Vegas Raiders, and, and he's so fast from Alabama. And he was, the, what, the second wide receiver off the board. And he's – He was first. At, fr- at first, and he's had a terrible uh, first year. And comparing well, C.D. Lamb has had a great first year. Yeah. So it's been interesting to see. And then I thought, you know, Teague started coming on for Cincinnati, and then – uh, Burrow gets injured and, yeah, and unfortunately we'll hit, yeah we'll talk about that but no I think it's like it's one of those things where you go to, it's fun to go watch seeing the Steelers on TV like I do every week and then you're there in person and you're seeing their defense and uh, TJ Watt is being named you know defensive player of the year and you're seeing the pressure number 90 for the Steelers just the absolute pressure they they triple team him almost every time off the ball and that lets Bud Dupree come in from the other side but it's the secondary Minka Fitzpatrick uh, uh, Terrell Edmonds uh, it's the Joe Hayden. It's the Steelers haven't had secondary like this in a while, and that's what I think helped a lot in terms of how they played. I mean, it was weird. The game from a from a from a point was that I think I feel bad because I think Jake Luton, the quarterback from Oregon State. He played well for a couple games, but the last game was bad, and this game yeah. was a disaster. He, He's clearly not the answer. No, I mean, Jackson he had four though. interceptions, and by the time the second, the third and fourth interception, it's like Luton threw the ball up, and the Steelers said, would well, you want to get it? Do you want to get it? I mean, Terrell Edmonds had two interceptions, and Micah Fitzpatrick had two. Yeah. So, and, they're, and that's what the Steelers with the Dolphins defense have, is the big play. Like, when the ball's up there, these teams, that's the difference, is making these big turnovers. It's not like you're going to, you know, teams are going to get yards on you. That's people, the people are going to get yards on the Steelers, but the point is, it's making those big plays when you have to. It was also good to see James Robinson, who no one knows about, from Northern Illinois. He had 17 carries. Uh, the whole team, he, the only one else that had 17 carries on the team. But he's the uh, first undrafted rookie in NFL history to record 1,000-plus scrimmage yards through the first 10 games. And he's on track to shatter the all-time rookie record, too. So for a guy that's completely undrafted, he came on great and, and, and has played good. But uh, you know it was interesting. You know, they, you know Jacksonville scored on their first possession to make it three nothing, and the Steelers <laughs> scored uh, twenty seven unanswered uh, uh, points. And I said mostly leading, mostly those interceptions that were that were key. Um, and you know they, Jacksonville was hurt. I mean they were missing two of their four secondary guys. The other two, I've never seen in a game so many players get hurt. It was like almost every other play, a Jacksonville player was getting injured, and like they're still hanging in the game. And I, I think the Steelers did something smart. So about two minutes in the game, it's twenty seven three, and Tomlin has always left 
uh, Ben in the game, even whenever, but he pulled him out and put Rudolph in. It's like, now he's getting smarter. It's like, even if we're just going to hand the ball, because I remember one time, it was like a couple years ago, Ben went to hand the ball off. Like The score was up by 30 points. Game's over. He wasn't going to throw the ball or hand the ball off, but he went to t- turn, you know, hand the ball off to James Conner, and he went one way and Conner went the other, and suddenly Ben is out there with nobody, and then somebody just comes and <laughs> smashes them. And it's like, don't even take the risk. Even just don't even have Ben no out there to. at the end of the game. And I thought that was, uh, you know, that was sort of really key. But it was like, it was, you can see now the question is Steelers 10 and 0 are they going to go 16 and 0 and I just think this is well, someone made a good comment this is maybe one of their their running game is a problem I mean they were running James Conner it seemed like in the second in the uh, it was weird as much as I was happy with how the Steelers are up 17-3 at halftime and then the next three possessions after halftime they went three possessions in a row trying to punt but Jacksonville couldn't couldn't do anything and they Connor you know they they ran for 106 yards Connor had 89 they were trying to get this running game going with Benny Snell McFarland it's just not working it's, they're protecting Ben from the passing perspective but on running it isn't and they feel like they need to do running better better but uh, from defense and offense I mean they're a very complete team and 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 it's no surprise they're 10 and 0 now they have to play Buffalo, they have to play Indianapolis, and they play Baltimore this Thursday. So I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated, but they are in a great position to have the number one seed for the for the NFL playoffs. Yeah, and you know anything could happen in a divisional game, so we'll talk more about that. But and it's just they might have some COVID issues there. Indy might be a sneaky team. I mean, they, they seem to show up and play when they need to. Um, any other takeaways from the uh, Steelers game before we move on? Um, no, I just – I think I'm impressed with their – I think they're secondary. Now, I think Luton made – it would be interesting to see if with a better quarterback and how well he completes passes. But I do think that Minka Fitzpatrick has been – since they made the trade, uh, the Steelers' secondary has been bad for years after years after years and since, like, Troy Paul Vanawa left. And I think that Minka Fitzpatrick has made the big difference, and I really think it's those big-time plays that they have. And uh, the Steelers have drafted and drafted, and, and, and you know, they've lost Bush. It was their star uh, rookie from last year. And they really – but it's still – you know, they have – uh, there, I'm. I was impressed by them, but there's, you know, I think the question is, can they beat Kansas City? Are they a team that is, is? I still don't know. I still don't think that when Kansas City comes down, that they're going to outscore. Just going to, I feel like Kansas City can just win any game they want to win. Yeah, but, but they haven't played a defense like the Steelers. No, and they haven't played a defense like the Steelers. But it's a lot, it was great to be there. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, um, Miami and Denver, Ira, and this was a game that a lot of people, I think. Maybe not necessarily Dolphins fans, but people of the media. Oh, the Dolphins are going to crush this awful Broncos team. I never thought it was going to be like that. I thought this would be a tough match on the road for the Dolphins, and it was. And they lost to a middling Broncos team, but the Dolphins still have room to go to where they can just be assumed that they're going to crush teams like this. Yeah, well, I think... I mean, the Dolphins are in this problem, in this mix where they are in the playoff hunt, but they're trying to get to it in the game. And they're trying to, they're bringing a rookie along and maybe he's not totally, I mean, I think we got excited I for the last couple of games and he just looked terrible. I mean, I went back and watched game, uh, uh, the, what, I, what I, parts I missed. And he was 11 for 20 for 83 yards with a touchdown, no interception, but he was sacked six times. Didn't seem like to get the ball out. Hadn't thrown the ball deep at all. And, uh, and it just seemed like he couldn't, and, and I think Brian Flores, I mean, it was a crazy move. And people were criticizing him for bringing Fitzpatrick in, but everyone was crazy for making the move in the first place. And it seems mm-hmm. like Brian Flores is doing an amazing job. So now he's like at Belichick level. Of, you know, <laughs> he wanted to start the fifth string quarterback that is like, well, Brian Flores knows what he's doing. Like, it's great when you're a coach and you have that credibility oh, yeah. uh, uh, to make that decision. Um, and he brings, uh, 
and he, and, he, and he brings Fitzpatrick in, and the team let him down for a field goal. And then Broncos had a chance to, to blow the game up, but they fumbled Van Ginkle, another big defensive play. They uh, forced that fumble on the one-yard line when mm-hmm. Gordon's ready to come in, and Fitzpatrick uh, leads them down with five minutes to go and uh, almost in the end zone and threw to uh, Devontae Parker, but it was intercepted by Justin Simmons right in the I mean, that could have gone inch either way. When he threw that ball, yeah. I'm like, touchdown to Parker, <laughs> because that Parker's on my fantasy team, even though I didn't play him this week. But the point is, I thought it was going to be a touchdown, and it's like, oh, I was intercepted. But I, Fitzpatrick, boy, he came in. He was ready to go. It just shows you he didn't just sulk. Oh, I lost my position as a starting quarterback. I mean, he came. He was brought in and just so ready to go for that game. And you know what, Ira? A lot of these wins, especially in the last, what, they won five in a row. During that five-win streak, defense was winning games for them. I mean, granted, the, the quarterback play and the offense still has to be there. They're down to, a, you know, undrafted running back. But the defense was what was keeping them there, and they didn't look great against a really an undermanned Denver Broncos team. Well, I mean, the, the Finns had eight possessions under Tua for 95 yards and 10 points, and under Fitzpatrick, he only had a two possessions, but they went down, you know, they had the interception, but three points and 120 yards. It was 120 yards versus 95 yards. Um, and then Flores, right after the game, is quick saying, you know, Tua's our quarterback. We just thought the change was needed. I thought he had to make that statement. I, I think if he would have said, well, I'm going to think about it, I got to look at the tape. I liked how he was quick to go back to Tua because I think it would have been a mess if he would just hell oh, we'll wait till game time that type of decision so I do like the fact that he went quick right back to to Tua and didn't let this whole I don't know we'll have to see yeah. so I thought that was a good decision on his part but you know look Miami six and four they're in the playoff mix and uh but you know Denver is that you're right Denver is a team that has played a lot of these teams that we think are bad have played some like Drew Locke I mean they're, they're they have players they know yeah. how to play their defense Vince Fangino uh is a great defensive coach and, and really threw something to Tua in terms of having you know Look, they it took the league what a year and a half to figure out Lamar Jackson. So now maybe three. It only took them three games to fill out Tua. <laughs> Let's go on to uh, the Thursday night game. It was a matchup of the best division in football's two top teams, Arizona and Seattle. We were getting to see maybe the greatest, you know, the, the greatest showman of the game right now. Just absolute stud in Russell Wilson facing off against the new guard, which is going to be Kyler Murray. And this was a really, really exciting game. I, well, I was excited about the game because you have uh, Kyler Murray for for Arizona and his receiving quarterback, Fitz, Larry Fitzgerald, Dante Hopkins, I mean, and Kristen Kirk, who's like, I mean, that, that they really won the elite wide receiving course. But also, Seattle has with DJ Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, two of the elite wide receivers, too. Plus, you have these two exciting quarterbacks and people say would you rather have Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray and again I've been talking about Kyler Murray how great he is and suddenly suddenly, for the whole year and even last year and then suddenly because I was at the Pittsburgh game when he played but then suddenly Kyler Murray would have been three three weeks from being just somebody to being this elite MVP candidate candidate. I don't know where that happened and I've seen this (laughs) Kyler like he's flamboyant he makes great plays but he also makes stupid plays and makes wrong decisions and uh, it was like it was it's one of those you know where it was you know Seattle was up uh, 23 14 and uh, Arizona came back and made a 23-21, forcing Seattle uh, to punt. So this was their chance to win the game, and Murray was like, it was just a mess. I mean, he got a, he had a, there was a, 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 a intentional grounding where he was intentional grounding, which pushed the team back, and then they got a holding call in the end zone for a safety. So that let him back down. But then, you know, he had the ball at the end of the game uh, with a chance, uh, 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 they, with with a chance to win, and uh, and and they couldn't. They had an eleven play drive, you know, forty six yards. 
and they got down to the 25-yard line. And this is like, I mean, almost all these games had those plays where Kyler Murray's coming down, he's ready to score, ready to ready to, ready to tie the game. And Carlos Dunlap, uh, the guy that we joked about from Cincinnati, when they cut him because he goes, my house is for sale, comes in, he had three sacks and <laughs> sacked Murray there and stopped him. So that was like, I think Seattle, this is the thing with Seattle, is their defense came up and they made the play when they had to. And on that final drive, it's when you, when you hear about these games, it's always going to be these final drives. And did the team like Kansas City score a touchdown or did they kick a few? goal like Baltimore did, force an overtime but then lose an overtime. Green Bay the same thing. But in this case, uh, Arizona had their chance to tie and force an overtime and were not able to do it. No, they weren't. Um, so Ira, this next game, this was one of the games this week that I would not touch with your money. It, it was just Tennessee, we don't really know what they are right now. They've been getting beat up. Baltimore, we don't know what they are. Tennessee was getting a lot of points going into Baltimore's house and didn't need it. Um, Exciting game. Went to overtime, and then Tennessee just did what they do, and they Derrick Henry. Remember last year I was at that game. It was the uh, uh, AFC Divisional game, yeah. and I, that was one of the craziest games I've ever seen, and I do believe that was what happened. I mean, Baltimore is riding high. They're a like, 10-point favorite in the game, and they're taking pictures before the game. They have photographers <laughs> like the like Rocky from uh, Rocky Balboa where they're in like the, the hall, and he's like, posing for pictures. I've never seen like team pictures, group pictures. They have photographers. Like, they couldn't even run their plays because there's so many people on the field taking pictures. Tennessee saw that was mad. And then you saw before this game, there was I think there was this, like, you didn't respect us last game. Yeah. And I think that just shows you that Baltimore really doesn't have anything because they were embarrassed last year. They haven't beat anybody since that has been good except that one winning record against Cleveland. And they're, they're on... And they go in ten, and they're leading. They're leading Tennessee twenty-one thirteen, and then just Derrick Henry just bowls them over. He only like forty-eight yards in the first half, and then the hundred yards in the second half uh, to come down there. And there's that one play where they threw. They were Tennessee uh, was down twenty-one sixteen, and they threw to AG, AJ Brown. Did you notice that play? He caught it like on the ten-yard yeah. line, and he just like when do you see a wide receiver just carry ten people onto the end zone? <laughs> I mean, he literally just like they were on his back, and he was like was not going to be tackled, and just like almost walked into the end zone, and it just shows you. And then the Ravens they get the ball down. Um, they got, got the Ravens got the ball. They're down. They're down twenty four twenty one. The Ravens get the ball down to the fourteen yard line on first and ten with forty nine seconds to go. So a touchdown wins the game. Yep. And this is what we talked about the last game. Jackson threw Lamar Jackson two incomplete passes, and they were ended up hitting a, you know over a field goal. And then Baltimore gets the ball first in overtime. You know first in overtime. That's the big advantage. Three and out. They go three and out. And Tennessee what they just a couple plays and Henry runs like he normally is. How many overtime games I think as he just carried the ball and for like a thirty yard <laughs> touchdown run and just ended it right. And they should come up with a term. It's like the Derrick Henry walk-off <laughs> touchdown. Right, it's just a walk-off. <laughs> I mean, it's like Lamar Jackson, 186 yards passing, 51 rushing, but they're just having problems, and it's like – and he's not slower. Their offensive line, they're missing two of their star players, but it's not the team that was last year when it's like, who's going to stop Baltimore? They're going to be phenomenal. They're going to be great. I mean, everybody thought what's going to happen to Baltimore is Lamar Jackson was going to get hurt. He's not hurt. It's just that teams have figured out what they tried to do, and now their passing game. I mean, at one point, remember that Rams game last year? They looked unstoppable. It was like they could score every yeah. time they touched the ball a touchdown. Nobody could stop them. Nobody could figure them out. I do think one of the problems this year was that J.K. Dobbins, they drafted him from Ohio State. I loved him. I thought it was a great pick, and I drafted my fantasy team, but they didn't use them hardly at all years. This is the first game they tried to. Mm-hmm. I really thought that they were using Mark Ingram Jr., Mark Ingram III, and uh, Gus Edwards. I really think they should have made, instead of having three different backs, I think Dobbins should have been taking more of the carries. But now we have him with COVID and Ingram with COVID, so that uh, question what happens with the Steeler game on Thursday. I'm leaning towards they should move it. Just move it to next Monday, you know, or do like a Tuesday night game like, like they had thought about. I know it'd be disappointing to only have the um, you know, two games on Thanksgiving, and that's really the best game of the day. But, you know, I'd hate to see the Ravens go out there versus you guys with 
half their team. Right. I mean, I mean you'd, with contact tracing, you'd have to figure out what that is case. But it's it's a must win. The, the Baltimore is now six and four, and they yeah. really are in a position. And who would ever thought that the Baltimore, who was everyone, was penciling it to be Baltimore, Kansas City, for the who's going to go to the Super Bowl? And now Baltimore is just struggling to make the playoffs. Um, just a, I think they just they've just fallen apart yeah. on offense, and their defense isn't as good as what what you know they had that lead again. The the criticism of Baltimore was that oh, if Baltimore's behind like against Kansas City, they can't catch up because they don't throw the ball so well. But if they have the lead, that's what I said. You know, I've said this thing I've said, and they couldn't even hold the lead this game. They couldn't even do yeah. anything. And I think it's, I think the league it just shows you the league figures it out. And just like a lot of these baseball pitchers or baseball hitters, it's like after a time the league if you're going to just not change and not improve, the league's going to figure you out. And suddenly you go from hitting 35, 40 home runs to hitting you know hitting 300 to hitting like 10 home runs and hitting 200. So. I, I think a lot of it's mental with Lamar too. I think there's just something off with him, and maybe because it's not coming so easy, he's having trouble. I mean, the interception he threw was awful. He he missed his receiver by 20 yards right into the hands of a defensive back, and that's just not... He didn't look like that on one single play last year, and he seems to look like that for half the game this season, so I, I'd be a little bit worried if I was uh, in Baltimore. Let's go to New England, and you got to be worried if you're a Patriots fan. Houston's been pretty bad this year, and... This is a game that New England should have won. Cam Newton did his part. I mean, he he led the league in passing this week in yards, but they just didn't have the defense to stop them. Well, I think it was the defense, and I don't. New England, Houston came in as the worst team in the NFL against the run, averaging like yeah. 180 yards a game. I mean, it was like unbelievable. Like one of the worst, like really historically one of the worst defenses. And all doing the could garner was 80 yards for the game in, in rushing. And they forced Cam Newton to pass so much. And it was like one of those weird things where they were losing, you know, they were they were, they were up 10-7. And then uh, Deshaun Watson dragged like half the team. I saw that highlight into the end zone. It was weird when you're at the game. So you're at the... Um, at the Jacksonville game, they have the red zone on TV. So it's so cool because it's one of the few stadiums you go to. Like if you're at like a Penn State game, they pretend like there's no other sporting events going on in the world. They don't even give the scores of the other games and you can't even get internet to get the scores. But at the Jacksonville game, they have the red zone channel and with all the breaks in the action, you just look up there and you see it. But it was like one of those things where, you know, New England came down 21-10 at halftime and just couldn't get back into the game. But that really, this has really ended New England season because they're four and six. I just think with these teams with six wins, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to get. Uh, I mean, they, if, even if they run the table with six wins, I don't know if they're going to make it. And uh, I think this they, this could might have knocked them out of the playoff on for the first time in a long time. So, Ira, we were talking earlier about you know potential landmines for the Steelers uh, on their way to trying to have an undefeated season, and I think Indy's going to be one of them. This team, I don't like them really. They're not. It's not pretty football, but they had a really nice win over Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think it was that was. Um, Rivers had this is Philip Rivers' two hundred and thirty fourth consecutive starts. Uh, he, he was, and I was listening to Aaron Rodgers talk about what are you excited about this game? It was like when I was doing a radio interview, and he said, "I just love watching Philip Rivers play. I don't I haven't played against him a number of times. I think it was only like two or three times he's mm-hmm. ever played against Philip Rivers against different conferences when they ever played. But I goes, I just love watching him play. And in, Indy has the number one defense coming to the game, so you're really expecting like Indy's defense against Green Bay's super offense going to be real. I thought it was going to be very interesting, and Green Bay. Let it the half 28 14 
and then only scores three points the entire second half. I mean, for Indianapolis to be down 14 to do that, and it was like in this one period of time, what Indianapolis does is they force three fumbles and interception in the second half. Uh, they only had Green Bay only had 18 snaps the entire second half, and uh, Green Bay went in. The, they get they're, they're up by 14. Second half starts. They go two. They get two three and outs in the meantime. India had two field goals and a touchdown. Suddenly it's 28-28, and then Green Bay fumbles the ball on a kickoff. Indianapolis gets the ball. Field goal made it 31-28, and then Green Bay goes to, all the way down to Indianapolis 34 and goes for it on fourth, like fourth and one, and uh, they they don't score there. And then uh, Green Bay has that chance. I mean, they're down three, and they get the ball with like whatever minute and half to go. And Rogers threw that 50 yard pass to Marquis uh, Vallis Shandling for 40 to the 50. And then they get all the way down to like the uh, ten yard line, and they, they they have to kick the field goal and force it into overtime. And then you go to overtime, and you're like, they get the ball first again, <laughs> and they, on like what second play, they fumble the ball, leaving it to kick a field goal. I mean, it's like here's two teams, Green Bay and Baltimore, that got the ball in overtime the first time, and they weren't able to, and they and they lose, which is shocking. It should think. never happen. <laughs> but I mean, I think what happened is that when Green Bay. When Green Bay took it down to the eight with three seconds to go where they forced to kick the field goal, again, this is sort of like the Baltimore game, so I like to I compare the games. That's where you need a touchdown to win. Like, that's where a touchdown, where Rodgers needed to score there to take the lead. Don't just kick a field goal and force it overtime. You could win on that. And I think that's where – that was a big mistake from from his part. And also for Lamar Jackson, I mean, two of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL in a period of time, whereas Patrick Mahomes, when he had his chance on last night – he scored the touchdown at the end of the game. Not didn't settle for the field goal. No, absolutely. Um, let's go on to, to the night game, and everyone was anticipating this being a good one. As the uh, oh, Oakland, as Vegas was uh, their only loss so far this season. Uh, they caused Casey their only loss so far this season. Big division matchup, and man, this was a heck of a game. And Patrick Mahomes once again, just that kid is ice water in his veins. I think you got to give him the MVP. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but he just because he's the best player in the league, you don't want to give him this is second. But he's not like he's been here forever. I mean, you, I, he totally deserves it. And you just see his ability and uh, Derek Carr. I mean, the question coming into this year was, is John Gruden, is he happy with Carr? Is he going to find another quarterback? I mean, Derek Carr has shown with this team, with the Raiders, and it would have been great to see him have fans in the stadium and everything yeah. great. But he was ready for this game. And, and this is, remember, the Raiders beat the Chiefs in Kansas City, the only loss they've had. And supposedly they drove around the stadium yeah. and they were, like, <laughs> harassing the driver, saying, look, we beat your team, whatever, and, uh, you know, that we beat the team and going, you know, to, that we beat uh, the Chiefs. But then the Chiefs were upset about that. So this is sort of like we're going to show them because they showed disrespect to our stadium. But... Uh, it was like one of those games where, like, try, like it is just amazing for me in terms of that, that final drive. So that's now the Kansas City's down 28-31, 31-28 with a minute 43 to go on their own 25. So these other teams, like, every, you see, we watch these games a whole week, a weekend watching. But when Mahomes has the ball, it's like he loves it. Like, that's <laughs> what – it's like he'd rather be down 31-28. Like, he yeah. – like, I thought Russell Wilson liked it. I don't – I think anyone likes more than Mahomes <laughs> has this lead. I mean, he throws to Hill. Then he throws another one to Hill. Then he throws to Hardman. Then he throws to Kelsey. Then he throws to Darren Williams. And then just a fast pass to Kelsey for a touchdown. Just like that. I mean, it's just – and these are Rockets. And he just – he is so comfortable. It is Michael Jordan style. I think it's Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan style, the end of the game, everybody else is like tense and nervous, like if I make a mistake, he doesn't have that. And he's so young and he's and he's performing at that high level. And it was just a great win. I mean, Kelsey, eight for catches, 127 yards of touchdown, and Tyreeky Hill, 11 catches, 102 yards of touchdown. And I had Clyde Edwards Slayer. Now it drove me crazy for fantasy because I'm in the, I need 
I've been battling in my fantasy, and I really need it. And he had a great game. He had like 70 carry, 70 yards and two touchdowns. But at the end in the fourth quarter, they were they used Le'Veon Bell. Like, don't get Le'Veon <laughs> Bell in this game. Keep Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I was driving back from Jacksonville, like yelling in my car. I was so <laughs> mad about that. But it was a big win. Look. The Raiders are six and four, but I think they're a really, really, really good six and four, and yeah. I think they're going to make the playoffs. And this is a team that is very young and set for the future, and could do damage this year in the playoffs. You know, you bring up Kelsey and fantasy. This was, you know, we've been for the last decade building tight ends, and we were at a place in in, in fantasy football where you had George Kittle, you had Ertz, you got all these guys coming up, Mark Andrews. This year, none of them are doing anything. A good week from a tight end now is six points, whereas Travis Kelsey every week gets you 20-plus. There's really a big drop-off from one to two and everybody else. Uh, I mean, speaking about fantasy tight ends, <laughs> these Philadelphia Eagles fans, they're calling for Carson Wentz's head, uh, Ira, and I don't know if they're right to be doing so, but Philly does not look good. Well, it was one of those games. Uh, Philadelphia lost to Cleveland 22-17. Cleveland's now 7-3, and three, and... Like Baker Mayfield, the Baker Mayfield, Carfield, Carson Wentz, two quarterbacks that have come under fire. Uh, to very, you know, what's going to have two early first round picks? You know, Mayfield was number one, uh, but it, they're really using the. You know, now they finally told Mayfield, you're going to throw the ball 22 times. You're going to use Nick <laughs> Chubb, Kareem Hunt. I mean, if anyone saw Kareem Hunt do that hurdle for a touchdown, yeah. amazing. So uh, Chubb carried the ball 20 times, Hunt carried the ball 13 times. Hubb had 114 yards. But in the, se- in the second half, Wentz had two interceptions. He threw a pick six. I mean, does, how many pick sixes has he had this year? I think it must be like four or five. I mean, I've never seen someone throw pit more pick sixes. And Eagles were 2-12 and 12 on third down. It's just a total disaster. But they're still leading their division, 3-6-1. six and one, And they really have no backup quarterback, even though they drafted Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma in the second round. But it's a situation in Philadelphia where people are saying, we don't want Wentz there. We've signed a $120 million guaranteed contract. But he is just struggling and regressing. And this is, this is an issue. And... and it's so funny, like on the, the talk shows, people are saying Doug Peterson, who was a genius when they beat the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and was the greatest offensive mind in the world, but now doesn't know how to coach play football <laughs> or coach football or anything. Um, but it was more so, I guess we've been talking about this as being bad for Philadelphia, but for, I think the Cleveland now has had a, three wins in a row, and now it's like, you know, for them, this is very good for them. So Absolutely. So we didn't know what we were going to see out of the New Orleans Saints this week. We knew that Sean Payton was probably going to throw some gadgets at us. They said they said uh, Taysom Hill was going to be under center, and I didn't expect them to just destroy Atlanta the way they did. Wow. Well, Taysom Hill's from BYU. He's called a Swiss Army Knife. He played five years there. Four of his years, he ended with season-edging knee injuries. He was undrafted, so they went through seven rounds of draft. No one drafted him. Green Bay signed him, cut him. He got, Saints picked him up in 2017, and uh, he was really like almost in three years is passing. He was like six for 13, and, but he had rushed like 40 times and was did everything. Played special teams, played on, uh, was catching the ball, running the ball. They, so they lost his bread and a quarterback, and they signed him for a two-year $60 million deal, which is he was like, you're going to be $8 million to a player that you don't even doesn't like. Doesn't have a position. Doesn't have a position and everything like that. But And so the question was, you put Jameis Winston in the game with all the experience of quarterback, or do you put Taysom Hill in the game? And at the last minute, they put Taysom Hill, which is a big surprise because Drew Brees is now out for, it seems like, another three, four more weeks. Uh, but Hill was great, 22 for 28, 319 yards. He carried the ball 10 times for 51 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the Saints were down, uh, the Saints were up 10-9 at halftime, and they really, I think the big story was the Falcons, who under Morris started to play well since you know since they fired their coach, but they really offensively were a disaster. Ryan had one of the worst games he's had, uh, terrible performance. Uh, Julio Jones caught like two passes the entire game, yeah. but the Saints defense came on. Um, Cameron Jordan, I like the stat, 
So New Orleans has allowed one touchdown in the last three games, but Kamala Jordan registered three of the Saints sacks, running his career total against Matt Ryan to 21. He has 21 sacks just on Matt Ryan, which is the most by a player on one quarterback since the sacks became a stat in 1982. <laughs> I mean, what does Cameron Jordan have on Matt Ryan? I know they play each other two times a year and things like that, but that seems enormous that's a for lot 21 of sacks. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a, a whole season's worth of sacks, a, a MVP season's worth of sacks. Um, a couple of other weird stats from this. Did you know that Taysom Hill going into this game had more tackles and passes attempted? That's amazing. <laughs> that was a good one, too. I thought that was interesting. But the, the numbers don't lie. And uh, Julio Jones tweaked his hamstring in the second, and that's why I really didn't see him. Matt, Matt Ryan is a bottom six quarterback in the league when Julio Jones is not on the field. Wow. That's not a good stat either. <laughs> um, let's go to Cincinnati and Washington. I, I got to tell you, I haven't embraced a young rookie quarterback the way I embraced Joe Burrow this year that in, a, in a really long time. Something about him, he's just so likable and so good and was really getting pounded in that awful uh, Cincinnati Bengals pocket, and now it's going to pay the price. He's going to be out for some time. I feel horrendous for Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I just feel they just cannot get a break. I mean, he was playing great. He was playing, rookie of the year. Rookie, playing great, and then you have Joe Nixon, a young running back, and you have T. H- the, the wide receivers from T. Higgins and some good defensive players, and you're like, boy, this team is turning the corner, and this injury, and even this year, if they didn't make the, of course, they were going to make the playoffs, but they were, uh, you know, they were building two, something. six, and one, but the injury, now, it was weird. He got hurt, and I saw it on the screen, but it, they never show replays of this at all, but no. it's, what happened is the Washington player it was the weirdest injury. Well, he was throwing the ball. The Washington player got turned around. It was falling down the ba- backwards. So it wasn't even like a bad hit because the Washington player was getting pushed by the Bengal player mm-hmm. into Burrow. And so the Washington player is falling down. So literally falling with his rear end really into the knee and and his knee was planted because another player was underneath and it was really a it's a terrible injury towards acl mcl other structural damage uh quarterbacks have come back from this tom brady of course has to come back from an acl tear to become a superstar quarterback so it's uh it's not you know like it used to be career ending but it's sad because you now he's going to be out the rest of the games you don't know how he is going to come back from an injury like this it looked so bad live it looked like Joe Theismann or the Alex Smith injury, and I just immediately, you know, felt so bad for the kid. Let's hope, um, let's hope that Joe Burrow can get back on the field in a reasonable amount of time and pick up where he left off. Um, let's talk about Dallas and Minnesota. Minnesota is one of these teams now going into this game that everyone's like, these guys are going to sneaky make the playoffs here. They're turning it all around, and they lose to a terrible Dallas Cowboy team. Well, it's funny. Dallas is a three. Dallas now is a three and seven. Minnesota's four and six. Minnesota has no chance, probably no chance to make the playoffs. Dallas three and seven is a half a they game out of, the, out of the playoffs, <laughs> winning the division. And that's just how the weird thing, how this is dealt. But having Andy Dalton back helped a lot. Um, I, it's just it, it's weird. I mean, Minnesota, what a disappointing year. Uh, the fact when you look at Jefferson, who they drafted from L, from uh, LSU, uh, the playing great, uh, playing just absolutely tremendous. He's he's amazing out there. And Thielen uh, and Cousins, they just cannot get their wins together and just had a disappointing year. I mean, this was sort of a win-now type of team and uh, with Cook and everything. And it just I, – I, when you look at the talent of Minnesota, to be four and six – just a disaster. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kirk Cousins had a great game, three fourteen, three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook does what he does. Teal had a great game, and they lost. And this was always a team that won with defense, and it's just not that case at all anymore. Um, let's talk about the Chargers and Jets a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I think that um, Justin Herbert would have given Joe Burrow a run for his money for Rookie of the Year. He'll probably get it now, and he gets a win, which hasn't been uh, too common for him this year. Justin Herbert looks. I mean, he. There's now this this whole. We might have this debate, but it could be this thing: is was he the is he the best quarterback now from this draft? Yeah. And whether did now they're saying did the Dolphins make a mistake and pick Tua ahead yeah. one position ahead of Herbert? And I was someone who's not fans of Herbert. And I'm 
Like, what were they doing with him at Oregon? I mean, because he looks tremendous. He's and, good. And when people ask, like, Trevor, what is Trevor Lawrence? I say, Trevor Lawrence is a much better Justin Herbert because he's tall and that you can see the mobility. And th- Justin Herbert has a lot of young Ben in him, which is that when he's able, we're not saying that he's going to just, he's not going to run like Lamar Jackson, but he's able to move around the pocket and he's so tall, he's 6'5", so when he moves out, like Ben is tall too, Mm -hmm. so when he moves outside the pocket, he still has an open field, can see, so he's able to move on the run, he throws on the run well, he's athletic, and that's what I like about him, and he's just a fun quarterback to watch, and I just think it, you know, Again, I think he probably wasn't utilized well at Oregon. This is a disaster because he's played great, uh, and he seems to be getting better every single week. Let's go to tonight's game. It's going to be what I think is a really good one. The Rams taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Buccaneers, four-and-a-half-point favorites here. And this line's moved a lot this week, so I think that the betting public is not really sure what's going to happen here. Well, it went from three to four-and-a-half. I I can't see the, the Rams keeping this. I think it's a blowout. I think the really? Bucs, I think tonight you're going to see – the power is like when the Death Star, like now you're going to see the full power. <laughs> like I think you're now you're going to see the full power of this Tampa Bay Buccaneers from Fournette to Jones to to Antonio Brown to Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to, Steve, to Rob Gronkowski. Uh, and you're going to see their great defense. I, I really think you're going to see uh, – I just can't believe the line's four and a half. The Rams are – the Rams have won some games, but look what the Dolphins did them two weeks ago. I, they, they To me, they they beat Chicago 24-10. They, this is a team that's lost to San Francisco and the Dolphins. I just don't yeah. see them in a game like this. I think I am – I believe the Buccaneers are much better than what people think they are, and I think the Rams are a lot worse than what people think they are, and I think this is a score that could be like 40-7 to or some crazy number. I do not think this game's close at all, but yeah, I'm I mean, excited to see Four of their wins are versus the four NFC East teams. Right. Uh, you know, uh, granted they beat the Seahawks last week. I'm with you. And this is a team that they're winning with defense, not with offense. This isn't um, McVay doing crazy offensive stuff. They're playing good defense. The offense looks pretty pedestrian. And like you said, Tampa Bay's defense is for real. So I'm with you. I'd probably lay the four and a half tonight and don't go ahead and take Tampa. We haven't agreed that much on on Monday night. And Thursday, I haven't been right days, a lot, but this one I'm right. This one I guarantee. It's a total guarantee. So how's it, uh, it looking playoff-wise? Well, I, it, there's in the AFC is nine teams for seven spots. The Bills in Miami, uh, uh, Steelers are 10 and 0, Browns 7 3, Ravens 6 and 4, Colts are 7 3, Tyson 7 3, Chiefs are 9 and 1, and Raiders are 6 and 4. So between the Bills, Miami, Browns, Ravens, Titans, and, and Raiders, they're all either 6 and 4 and 7 3. And then all the other teams are out. So really, they're go- the, all those teams we mentioned are going six teams for, for four spots. Like there's only two of them are going to be eliminated. So you almost have a feel like who's going to be in the playoffs. And for the NFC, besides the East, where the Eagles are 3 6 and 1, and both the Giants, Cowboys, and Washington 3 and 7, and they're only a half a game back. The rest of the division, it's like you really think that the Rams in Arizona and Tampa could right now would be get the wild cards and Green Bay, New Orleans, Seattle would win the division and everybody else is sort of gone. I mean, they all have four wins. The Bears at five and five, I think are one of the worst five and five teams, but the Vikings, Carolina, Lions, Falcons, San Francisco is out. I almost could tell you the NFC, like who besides, I don't have any idea who's going to win the East, but all the other teams, but the East, I could tell you who's going to be in the playoffs. Um, you know, for for the but with what like six weeks to go in the season. Seven forty seven. Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. A Mike Balsamo. Uh, let's get into the NCAA. Kind of the same situation. Ira, we're running out of spots here for who's going to be able to get into this playoff. Yeah, I mean, right now we'll go through these games. Bama and Florida. Um, they have they are like on a collision course for the SEC championship game. I mean, Bama has three easy games. So does Florida. And I just think it's going to be interesting if Bama beats Florida, then they have two losses. They'll be out. But what if Florida beats Bama? Then one of them could get it in the one of the four spots. Clemson and Notre Dame, the same situation. Notre Dame has a big game this week against uh, North Carolina. 
Ohio State with a win. You know, Ohio State looks like it's it's set. I mean, they're going to be a 25, 20 to 25 point favorite the rest mm-hmm. of the way. They should be in it. The Big 12 with the Oklahoma, Texas teams, they, everyone has two losses. They're out. And the question is, are they going to throw like an undefeated Oregon or Washington team in? Uh, or, or USC if they get under, if they have only like four or five wins. If they play five games or six games. So I don't think Cincinnati BYU, their competition hasn't been, they haven't beat anybody this year. So I think it's going to be hard for Cincinnati BYU to get it, even if they're both like 11 and 12 and 0. But uh, I really think we're like six teams going for four spots. And with Miami, unfortunately, like a team like Miami, they had they they have one loss, but their one loss is keeping them out of that playoff between Notre Dame and Clemson. Yeah. And Texas A&M has their one loss to Alabama, but that's also keeping them out of the playoff. So those they're waiting for you know someone to to lose out that they can have might have a chance. So let's start in the Big Ten: Ohio State versus Indiana. And this game was closer than it probably should have been. I loved Indiana in this game. Ohio State gave up twenty points. And uh, Al, Tom Allen is a phenomenal coach. And Michael Penix Jr., their quarterback, was amazing. 27-51, 491 yards, five touchdowns, interception. Husey hasn't get, had a quarterback throw 500 yards of them in like 30 years. Um, and Ty Freigel, their wide receiver, th- seven catches for three, t- three touchdowns. And Justin Fields, who everybody's saying second pick in the draft, could be he finally had a bad game. He threw three interceptions and gave up and had five sacks against him. He hadn't thrown three interceptions in his entire career. Yeah. He threw three <laughs> interceptions in one game. And Ohio State, they're running. Have you ever seen a game like this that was close by side by touchdown? Ohio State rushed for 307 yards for the game. Indiana rushed for negative one. And, uh, That's bizarre. They, Indiana couldn't run the ball. Ohio State turned the ball over three times. Uh, but Indiana could never get, you know, they could never convert those. They had zero points on those turnovers. And it was just one of those things where Ohio State had a bad game. Uh, 600, it was one of those things where they were up by, they were up, at one point they were up 28-7. And Indiana just kept coming back in the game with these long passes. And Ohio State was having, like it was like, even when they had a pick six, it was 42-21 at the end of the third. They just had a pick six. Then IU, Indiana had a, on a touchdown, a fourth down play. They scored another touchdown, make it 42-35. And they actually had the ball again to tie the score. So here's a game. Like Ohio State's defense looked uh, looked very poor in a game like this. But I liked Indiana a lot. And this is a team that is on the upswing and next year should be a, a top 10 team. But it was it was like one of those things where I knew the line at 20 and I'm like nervous during the game. Like there's no uh, – India is really good. Like they're, they're going to get blown out of a game and they, I felt like they should be winning this game. Let's talk about Wisconsin and Northwestern. Oh, did not see this. Wisconsin lost – 17-7, and I just, this is like Ohio State should send Wisconsin a thank you note, like thank you so much for losing this game. Because now Wisconsin losing, it just makes Northwestern, who is really not that great. Now they're 5-0, and and Northwestern, it, it, Northwestern wins. Uh, you know, Ohio State's remaining games are against Illinois, Michigan State, and Michigan, which are nothing. But if Northwestern wins, all Northwestern has to do is uh, win two out of three against Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois. It's like one of those things where Graham Mertz, uh, looked phenomenal for Wisconsin. He was one of the best high school quarterbacks in the country. Goes there, had COVID. They had missed two of their games. Uh, but he threw interception, interception, fumble. Uh, and Northwestern was at 14-7 at halftime. Nine straight drives the second half. All the, the teams just went three and out of punt. I've never seen that ever happen. And Northwestern took a field goal, made it 17-7, and Wisconsin threw another interception. Mertz had a just a, a horrendous game with the fumbles and the interceptions. Um, it's the first time since 2011 Northwestern had a win over top 10 team. And they've now put themselves in a position to play for the uh, – uh, you know, for the Big Ten title. Michigan got a win over Rutgers, but not a pretty one. Well, I think this game is hilarious. So <laughs> Michigan, so since 2015, Michigan beat Rutgers 49 to 16. The next year, they beat Rutgers 78 to nothing. The next year, the 2017, it got closer, 35-14. Then the following years, 42-7 and 52 to nothing. So of the last 
five years, it's 256 to 37. And Michigan <laughs> barely, they were favored by 10 and a half, barely, barely, barely won this game. I mean, they were ahead by 35. They were ahead by, they finally took the lead. They were down in the game, uh, 17 nothing in the second quarter. Uh, they pulled Joe Milton and put Cade McNamara in. The, for, they made a quarterback change. And that helped them come back and take the lead. But still, they were 35-27. You think Michigan has this game won. They let Rutgers go down, score a touchdown, and get the two-point conversion. And then in the first overtime, what did Michigan do? They missed the field goal. All Rutgers had to do was kick an easy field goal. They missed their field goal. They go to a second overtime. Rutgers scores a touchdown. Michigan scores a touchdown. Finally in the third. And it's like one of those games where the Michigan scored the touchdown. Rutgers didn't. And it's like, it's like if this was Michigan, would they storm the field? Would they like, this is where the fans would come down? Like, this is a great win. But Michigan now is... Um, they're uh, two and three, but this would have made them one and four. And uh, but just uh, uh, again, the, the fact that they're trying—they barely beat a Rutgers team that they've outscored by two hundred points over five years—just <laughs> shows you what's happening to the Michigan program. And what happened with Penn State? That's what everyone keeps asking. This would have been exciting because <laughs> Penn State plays Michigan next week, and Penn State's zero and five. If Michigan is one and four, it'd be like one and nine between both coaches' salaries. It's like fifteen million dollars between Harbaugh and Franklin. So you would have the two teams that are one and nine. Um, but this. <laughs> Penn State pulled Sean Clifford, their starter, before the game. They started Will Levis. And Clifford was someone who thought could be on the Heisman Trophy shortlift. Now, remember, Penn State was was ranked seventh. Seventh. This is like the first time ever that team... I think it is the first time ever that a top 10 top team 20. started the year 0-5. And, <laughs> and Penn State was down 31-7 at halftime. And again, they like scored some points at the end of the game and tried to make it close. They brought Clifford in for Lewis by Levis. But what a what a horrendous performance by Penn State. And they've just they've totally fallen off the rails. They have two fumbles, two interceptions. Levis just was the, the fumbles. And some of these fumbles were terrible. Like there was a point where like they were just doing a handoff and like they threw it back and they kicked the ball around. Nobody jumped on the ball. And it was almost like you're watching... And the weather wasn't even that bad, and just the fumbles and the interceptions and the mistakes. Penn State has talented players. This is really, I mean, they're getting criticized. They can't tackle. There was a play where Iowa Sargent ran, and the running back ran, and Penn State just, I felt like they called, they called the play dead. They didn't even try to tackle him. It was just they let him run right through, like, eight players. Uh, very bad, and, and that's why this week, Penn State Michigan, which is last year, like, great game, Penn State Michigan. Now you have, you know, one team's 2-3, and three, and the other's 0-5. Got just about 6-7 minutes left here, Ira. Let's go to the SEC. Bama just rolled Kentucky. It, well, I feel bad for Kentucky because they lost a lot of their starters because of the of COVID and because of other injuries. But it was forty two to three with five minutes to go in the third quarter, and they and uh, uh, Alabama pulled all their <laughs> their starters. I mean, at the end of the first quarter, they were only up seven three, and so between that and the end of the middle of the third quarter, they scored uh, thirty eight points to nothing. It just mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mac Jones didn't play. I thought he played great. People said it wasn't the superstar game, but uh, Devontae Smith had nine catches for 140 yards, two touchdowns. He broke Amari Cooper's SEC and Bama record. And now Bama plays Auburn next week in Arkansas and LSU. Um, this Bama team looks like it's rolling, and they're going to be in the, in the NCAA playoffs. Your boy Kyle Trask and the Gators kept it up against Andy. Well, I don't, again, I'm not sure I'm ready to make Trask the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner. Everyone's putting him in, but, you know, they were, it was a tougher game because Florida was, um, it was like Vanderbilt's 0 and, was 0-6. Florida's 5-1 and 1 going into the game. They were 31-point favorites. Um, and Kyle Pitts was out for Florida. But Vanderbilt took a 7-0 to lead. And it was like 10-10. But then all Trask did started was you know, throwing touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. He had three touchdowns for the game. Uh, Kadera Tony six catches, 107 yards. Shorter, who was played at Penn State and transferred after last year, had a, had a big game. But it was the ninth, ga- ninth game in a row uh, that Florida's now scored 35 points in a row. And uh, Florida plays Kentucky, which they're 
they're going to blow out next week. Tennessee and LSU. So they're going to they're not going to lose any of their the final three games either. Um, any other games in the SEC you want to touch on? Uh, Tennessee Auburn again. Tennessee is just—it's a disaster for them. This is really uh, a season that, that started out with such promise at two and zero. Now they're zero and five in those games. And Auburn uh, thirty to twenty three, and that sets up for the Iron Bowl. Auburn Alabama. Auburn's I think uh, Alabama's favored by twenty some points in this game. But maybe Auburn can do something. But it's one of those situations where Tennessee's struggling and Georgia beating Mississippi State was interesting. About this game is JT Daniels. Uh, he played. He was the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, went to USC, lost his position at USC, then got hurt and then transferred to Georgia. People were waiting for him to start, but it was recovering from his injury. Finally came and had through for 401 yards, four touchdowns. And so Georgia fans are like, oh, we finally have a quarterback now. But it's a little late in the season. They have the two losses, but that sets up well for next year uh, for what, whatever. But uh, Texas A&M didn't play at Ole Miss. That game was was. Uh, uh, postponed because of COVID. Going to the ACC, a little bit of controversy here. Dabo Sweeney's not very happy today. Well, Clemson came to Florida State. They had a player had tested twice during the week um, as negative. He tested positive on Friday. They thought they had contact traced it enough where they knew what players weren't going to play. They and they couldn't agree on a protocol. So Florida State. Uh, canceled the game or postponed it. And now there's issues. Clemson saying, look, we're ready to play. You didn't follow protocols where you knew this was going to happen. And when, but this is the first time that a team actually went somewhere and then the game was postponed. So now Clemson's demanding that Florida State come up to play the game to make up. They have one week they could make it up. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it was like one of those situations where Clemson was there, they were ready to play, and uh, it didn't happen. What else in uh, college football? Uh, I thought the big game, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, you, you feel bad for Oklahoma. They had two losses at the beginning of the year to Iowa State and, and, uh, and Kansas State. But they're rolling since then. But they destroyed Oklahoma State, uh, forty-one to thirteen. Whatever chance the Big Twelve would have to get a team in, Oklahoma State had one loss. They're out. So you really, really can just totally ignore uh, the Big Twelve. But Iowa State beat Kansas State forty-five nothing. I mean, they're good. I mean, they have you know Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma all have these two losses. Um, and then the Pac-12, Oregon beat UCLA, uh, in, in, um, and again, Oregon is unde- you know undefeated uh, at 3-0, but they can stand in there, and, U- and USC beat Utah, they're undefeated also. Let's, uh, let's go to tennis, Ira. <laughs> well, I like tennis because this is <laughs> something that I've actually enjoyed. I want to talk about it, we have like two minutes to talk about this, but last week... It's the ATP Finals, and it's an indoor event. And between seventy and uh, seventy-seven and eighty-nine, it was one of the biggest sports events you could imagine. It was in New York. It was Connors over Borg, Borg over Garolitis, Lendl, McEnroe, McEnroe, Lendl, and I would go there. And every celebrity—I mean, it was celebrity roll row everywhere around the court. Really? McEnroe is like John was all the sports stars, all the all the movie stars, and it was the. And then in and eighty in eighty-nine, they took it out of New York, and now no one talks about this tournament at all. It's like doesn't even get talked about. And it's, it's a good tournament. You have the top eight players in the world. They play round robin in two divisions where you, then you go and have a semifinals and a finals. And these matches were absolutely amazing. And the, and the one semifinals, uh, Dominic Theme Joker, uh, Theme blew four match points as, and went into a third set and he beat Djokovic in the third set, 7-6. And then in the other semifinal, Medved, who we saw from the U.S. Open last year, uh, not this past year, but the year before, played against Nadal and beat Nadal in three sets. And Crazy. Medved ended up beating Theme in three sets to win the title. So you're seeing 
seeing, this is what we've been talking about. I mean, these are the four, you have Nadal and Djokovic, and then there's Federer out there. But then Medvedev and Thiem are those third and fourth players, and you're saying now, you know, is Thiem Medvedev has not won a, a Grand Slam, but Thiem just won the U.S. Open this past year. These are the players that are going to be emerging great players once Djokovic and Nadal exit the scene, if they ever exit the scene. But I just want to talk about this tournament because I went to it like four or five times. It was the most exciting tournaments to go to, just to be so close in the one court in Madison Square Garden when Macro and Connors are just jawing with like celebrities and everyone's yelling and the crowd was electric. It was like a Nick game just for a tennis match. Very interesting stuff. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, a Mike Balsamo. Let's go to the NBA, Ira. And the draft is in the books. I don't know. I'm hoping that this isn't one of those drafts that turns out like 2013 where it just really wasn't that much major talent. I mean, we got Victor Oladipo and Antetokounmpo out of that one. But other than that, I just just don't know about some of these players. And you're thinking we might only see a handful if that even start next year. It's a very weird draft. We knew it was going to be a weird draft coming in. And I just think that a lot of these players, you're looking at some of these players down the list. I mean, it's like one of those drafts where you have to really analyze this like three, four years from now. I don't think they're the Knicks got Obi Toppin from Dayton, who is a player that could step in. He's from Brooklyn. He could step in and do well with the ninth pick. But Anthony Edwards went to Minnesota. We talked about him last week. I just don't even see how he can start for Minnesota. I'm not impressed with this. I, I feel like they felt like he was a, a pick they had to make. On, and, and James Wiseman, who I think it was perfect, fell to Golden State. Now, Clay Thompson, with his knee injury, is now going to be out for the year. You yeah. know how good Golden State is going to be. Golden State needed to have a center. He fit in well. But LaMelo Ball for Charlotte, I just don't see how that works for them. Uh, Chicago drafted Patrick Williams of Florida State, which was a huge surprise. But he's only he averaged nine points a game. He didn't even start at Florida State, and he's drafted in the fourth round. Crazy. And then you have uh, like these other picks that I, and I we could go through, but. They just, none of them, I looked as someone who's going to be a starter. There's a guy, uh, Tyrese Halberton from Iowa State. People thought he was going to be someone who could step in. He's, uh, he was a good shooter, like a 50% two-point shooter, 40% three-point shooter. And he drafted Sacramento, where they already have De'Aaron Fox and resigned. Like, why is he going to Sacramento? Didn't see me. He fell all the way to 12th. I mean, if you're watching the draft special, which was I thought was terrible at ESPN2. They never showed highlights. They showed, like, animation of the players. I don't want to see animation. It, it was a really it. bad production. It was so bad. Um, um, and I just think, like, I, at that point, I think the key is I like Precious Achua, who Miami picked for the 20th. I think it was the perfect spot for somebody who averaged 60 points and 11 rebounds for Memphis last year. And really, he's like Bam Adebayo. He's a little taller and maybe a little bigger than Bam. And he plays like Bam. And he's a high-energy guy. And he's like, it, it seems like fits perfect for what the Heat are trying to do. Like when Bam and Whiteside played, they're like, oh, Whiteside can't be like Bam. But now they actually have another person that's a younger Bam. And I think it was a great, they had one draft choice. And for the Heat, I was really pleased with this pick because I could see how he's only going to play like 15, 20 minutes a game. But I think, you know, get those rebounds. And if Bam got, gets hurt, he's someone that can step in. And I thought that was a really, really good pick from Miami. And I and uh, I thought that was that was an excellent, excellent pickup. Well, we know we trust Pat Riley. <laughs> he's done some amazing stuff before in the draft. And we look forward to that continuing, hopefully. Um, talk about catch us up on free agency who's moving where well you know next week we're going to go in there's still some movement and i want to go through some of the teams where i think what they did and what they didn't do well but uh toronto uh surprisingly was it was the most money ever given to an undrafted player fred van fleet uh got a four-year 85 million dollar contract he was familiar with toronto when they won the title i mean he's really one of probably besides Kawhi leonard he, he was the best player on that team and in some games he was better than Kawhi leonard but that he really needed to keep him and sign him and joe harris from the Nets surprisingly got four years 75 million people like who's joe harris but they <laughs> you know in order to make their run that they do with Kyrie and kevin durant this is like someone they really need to keep he played really well last year um and 
the big movement of a player. Now, you're, you're hearing all these signings, but it was really Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward turned down uh, like a $34 million player option. Like, that's crazy because he's someone two years ago that broke his ankle, didn't play a whole year, then came back. At the Last year, didn't really play well. Then this past year, he played better. But it's like someone who was like 30 years old, like whatever, is he going to get that money? He ended up signing a four-year, $120 million contract, gets $30 million a year from Charlotte. Um, people are saying, well, Celtics lost him for nothing. But I, I just don't see how this contract works out for Charlotte, four years, 120. No. I mean, Gordon Hayward's a 20-some point game scorer. I mean, when he was four years ago at 26, when he played for Utah, he was great. And I just think that after the injury, he's getting older. I just don't get this contract, and I, I was surprised by it. And But Michael Jordan sees something in him, I think, and that's what they wanted. And Tristan Thompson moved from Boston to – um, Boston, to, I'm sorry, from Cleveland to Boston on a two-year, $18 million contract. You're seeing a lot of these teams. I think that if you look, Dennis Schroeder was traded, uh, and he went to uh, the Lakers. So he'll be a great guard to actually be the point guard. So LeBron doesn't have to be the point guard. The Lakers made a lot of Montrezl Harrell. They signed him, the best, one of the best six men in the league. Yeah, they definitely got better. And they, got, they improved. So the Lakers improved a lot. Um, from the Heat perspective, they lost Jay Crowder. And everyone likes Jay. He played great for them. Play the finals, he didn't shoot well, but Phoenix signed him for three years, $30 million contract. And Derek Jones Jr., because he was a second round draft pick, he left and went for Portland. He got a two year, $20 million contract. And, you know, Derek Jones could even play for the Heat. I mean, he was even in the rotation. He gets a two year, $20 million contract. But they re signed Goran Drogic, which was a smart move, one year, $18 million. They brought in Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley is someone you remember from the Celtics. It's a good defender. He's smart, good three point shooter. Um, I think it's a great signing. Like, it's, it's sort of some of that, a veteran leadership at the guard play. And they re signed Myers Leonard and they brought in Mo Harkless. Uh, a big man, another big man. So, I, you know, from the Heat perspective with the draft choices, I think they did well. And I think their point is I didn't want to see them blow up their team. And they're trying to preserve their flexibility because maybe Giannis, we're going to see in the next week or two if Giannis is going to accept his option that was given to him, the five-year, $250, $250 million contract. And maybe Giannis potentially could come to the Heat. Real quick before we wrap it up, we're going to see Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight this weekend. Never thought <laughs> I'd say that. Well, I mean, I don't think people, a lot of people don't remember. I mean, they remember Mike Tyson for just hearing about him, but he was the most dominating boxer I've ever seen in my entire life. He was 37-0. and 0. Um, He would knock fighters out in the first round. He, the Michael Spinks, when he won the heavyweight championship, is the youngest heavyweight champion. It's, uh, you know, the Spinks, who was the champion at the time, literally almost, you know, fell down the ring when Tyson looked at him. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it was just, then he lost to Buster Douglas and had all the biting of the ears and everything like that. But he is, and he looks from the pictures, and they show him from his, the 19-year-old to the 53-year-old, and he looks like he's dominating. And Roy Jones Jr., people forget, he was the middleweight champion of the world. He beat Bernard Hopkins in 93. 94, he destroyed James Tony. was undefeated, become the, the the super middleweight, then became the light heavyweight, and then in 2003, became the heavyweight champion. I mean, he's one of the great... He was, at 2004, he was 49-1, and one, um, and uh, the rest of his life, he's been, like, fighting and whatever, but he was considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. So it'll be exciting to see. This is an eight-round fight, two-minute rounds, and they're not supposed to knock each other out, but... I think to see Mike Tyson fight, I'm definitely going to buy this fight. I want to see it. It's going to be over pretty fast because it's only eight round, two minute rounds. But uh, just to see Mike Tyson come back, and I guess this is, could lead to something else. I mean, Rocky had that uh, on the Creed, you know, where Rocky <laughs> came back and fought. So maybe this could be something like that, where Tyson takes on Tyson Fury or something like that it would be amazing. And just real quick, uh, Friday night we're going to see some unconventional golf. 
Well, Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley versus Steph Curry and Peyton Manning. I, this takes on the entire uh, Tiger and Phil and then Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and they, they don't have Tiger. They don't have, I think not having Tiger Woods in this takes a lot out. Oh, yeah. And I think – I don't know how it's going to work. It's in the afternoon. It's on a pay-per-view. It's Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley, and it just shows you that Curry and Manning are favored over a professional golfer as <laughs> Steph Curry. And I think, I think it will be interesting to watch, but I – Look, I, I I'll watch it. I'm not so sold that it's. I think without I think Tiger makes these events. I think it's hard to have an event without Tiger in it. You are right. We are out of time. On behalf of Iron Mike, let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.